It's another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. But are you subscribed? If not, make sure to like, share and subscribe. Spread the word about the Christian Reef podcast and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christian Reef podcast. Today's guest is an actor, podcaster and marketing professional hailing all the way from Rochester, New York in the United States. His name is Jamie Burrows. Welcome to the show, Jamie. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. That's a pleasure. Uh, thank you for agreeing to do the show. I'm doing very well. Um, yeah, let's let's just jump straight into to your podcast. So you host this reg- regular video podcast where you interview a range of different people. So tell us about exactly the format of the show, the type of topics that you discuss, and who the podcast is actually intended for. Sure. I- I'll try. That's for sure. Um so, uh, gosh, about a year ago now, um, I work for a marketing company. Mm-hmm. Uh, and about a year ago, when everything started hitting the fan, um, you know, my boss and I got together to try, you know, my boss, I work for a small company. So my boss is actually the owner. He's like, look, man, I want to keep you on. I want to, you know, continue to pay you but it obviously isn't going to be calling businesses or, you know, going to lunch with business owners, selling marketing. So what can we do? Mm. Um, So we came up with the idea of doing like webinars um, about things like working from home, uh, the Google suite of products, things that we had been using for years because we've been remote for years, um, but all of these things were about to become very important for people who had never used it. So that was how we started. And then if you remember around that time, uh, everybody and their brother started doing the same thing. You know, BuzzFeed is doing articles about, you know, Outlook versus Gmail. And not that ours weren't better. Ours were better, but it's tough to compete with those big names. Um, So I just, you know, my boss is very hands off. Like, gives me enough to do my thing. So I started reaching out um, and interviewing people just because it's a lot more interesting to me and interactive. And let's be honest at the, you know, a year ago when no one knew what the heck was going on, uh, that might've been my only outlet for the day to have a conversation with somebody. Um, So especially given the time, I was amazed with the people that responded right back to me and were not only gracious, but accommodating and, you know, awesome for the interviews and the shows. Mm-hmm. So, um, so who is it for? And I'm, I'm sorry, uh, who is it for? Whoever watches it. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, when I, when I first started and, and with some of the shows, you know, if a couple of my Facebook friends watched, I didn't expect much more than that. Um, but <laughs> yeah. depending upon the guests, I mean, we've had 
thousands of people watching. So um, hopefully something for everyone. I will just say on a side note before I press you on that. Um, I know the feeling. I mean, like, okay, on my personal Facebook account, I think I've got like over 400 friends, people I've actually met in real life and stuff and who I've mm -hmm. ha had over the years. And I mean, a fair few of them, I think, like my official Facebook page and stuff, but that like probably a handful, we're talking like three or four people and that includes family actually uh, <laughs> bothers to check out my stuff. And I've been doing this now for like two and a half years and it is interesting, I have to say. Um, and it'll be interesting as well, uh, I guess, for the both of us as things progress and, and we start to like get more attention with these things to see if those people will actually suddenly take an interest. Because people are like that. It's interesting when they see that you've started something small and they're kind of like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's nothing. That's just a little pet project. Like, I remember someone, uh, I won't say who, but someone said to me on, on the phone, I was catching up with them and they were like, oh yeah, you know, that passion of yours. And it's like, yeah, this, this is, this isn't a hobby for me. This is like, I'm, I'm going all the way with this, but in fairness, I do understand that response. Um, but it'd be very different when, when these things take off. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> And, and what's funny to me, Christian, is that some of the guests that I've had, people would pay to go see. Okay. Um, but they're not tuning in for free to watch me interview them or, or things like that. And it's funny. And I, I, think, it, I think it does go back to the familiarity. Um, you know, like my brother, you know, he cannot. And this is something that I see in marketing as well. And, you know, it's that the paradox of choice, um, you know, and when and availability, you know, if it, it, let's just say my brother is watching a boring baseball game and says, oh, my brother's got that guy on his show today that I really like. But it'll be on Facebook and it'll be on YouTube. I can watch it anytime I want. There's no reason for me to watch it live. And then inevitably a week from now, you're like, well, if anything super awesome happened, I would have heard about it by now. Why am I going to watch something that was recorded a week ago? That's a very good point. You know, I never thought about that actually. I mean, I, obviously I thought about the concept of, yeah, pe people just might not be free when it becomes live. I, you know, everyone mm -hmm. has, has a life, but uh, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, but the thing is the way things work, you know, especially with things like podcasts and stuff, they're what I would term evergreen content, which is always something I'm sure, you, know, you know, that term being in marketing. Uh, yeah. I am also in marketing, by the way, so we can chat a lot about that. Uh, but yeah, that's what I always strive to kind of do with my content is to make it as evergreen as possible. Because funnily enough, these things do pick up. I've, I've had certain episodes pick up many views many, many months later. And yeah, and you're like, what the hell happened there? <laughs> well, no, I think it's I think it just, you know, here's the thing. With, with podcasts and interviews, particularly people who you interview who have somewhat of a public following. Like you said, people don't know the interviewer. So it's like, why should I care? Uh, you know, what is what of interest is there really? You know, why should I bother watching? And, you know, I thought about this a lot as well. And here's my response to that. 
the reason that you should watch an interview where the interviewer maybe is someone you've never heard of, but the guest is someone prominent, or even if they're not even necessarily prominent, they can just be someone of interest, right? Mm -hmm. Is that you don't know what that interviewer is going to ask them. Therefore, you don't know what you're going to learn from that guest. It might not be the same old, you know, interview that they go for. And here's the thing, like with my interviews, it's different. You know, I do obviously have research on my guests and, you know, there's a structure and a format and everything. But to tell you the truth, a lot of the time I'm just pushing for a good conversation to kind of naturally see where we go and what we get from that person. So I ad lib a lot. Yeah. And sometimes I don't even ask questions. And, you know, being a fellow podcaster, I'm sure you can appreciate like the more you do this, the more kind of comfortable you get with it, the easier it kind of becomes to do that. And uh, so now I worry less and less, even if I don't have a lot of research on my guests, because sometimes there's lots, sometimes there's nothing. Um, it doesn't concern me as much. It's more about like, can I sort of sustain a good, interesting, engaging conversation? And that would be my response. Like I've had people, you know, people I've reached out to that are celebrities that I'm still, you know, trying to get them on the show. And it's just a conflict issue. It's nothing more than that. And when I actually said that to them, I remember I said, I, I've said this on the show before, so sorry for repeating this. Um, but I said to this person like, hey, you know, I know I don't have like much to offer you, but you know, maybe it'll be a good conversation. And they were like, oh no, 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 it's, it's okay. Like I, I want to, you know, appear on your show. And I, it, it made me start to think that like, it doesn't matter if you're starting from nothing and, and like that's the perception that people have of you because people who you really want to follow you, people that, you would want to become part of your community will find you and will enjoy all of your content. Like there's people that follow me now that maybe only come for the live streams I do, or maybe they only listen to the podcast or maybe they're only interested in the music or whatever. Right. But they're coming for mm -hmm. something and they keep coming back for that thing. And it's like, okay, this should be the focus building from here because the numbers will come much later and it doesn't matter what people's perception is, you know, it's, it's the same as, as a business, you know, if, if you see a business and it's just starting out and it's only got like a couple of thousand followers on Facebook or something, you're like, Oh, okay. They're just a startup. Like who cares? Right. But then you're right. going to pay attention when they've got like a hundred thousand followers, you know, you're going to be like, Ooh, maybe that's something I should check out. And obviously it's the same with YouTube channels, uh, social media platforms, podcasts, you know? Um, so it's a, it's an inevitability. It's, it's a case of when rather than if, um, so long as obviously you keep pursuing what you want to do and you keep kind of pushing it. Um, but that being said, I, I am kind of surprised that people don't take more risks on, on small content creators, small channels, small podcasts, because you'd be Absolutely. surprised. Yeah. You'd be That's surprised. What can happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, do you know, uh, this is me being, <laughs> I guess I sound quite bold here, but I think it's fair there are like major podcasts that I've listened to where the creators found fame elsewhere. Like maybe they were a YouTube channel first and they decided to just join the craze of, of starting a podcast and they are not good podcasters because here's the thing, like just cause you have a big following, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to become a good podcaster. <laughs> like it takes skill. It takes uh, effort. Like uh, there's people that, you know, even 50 to 70 episodes later, I listen to their stuff and it's like, this is still bad. Like they've learned nothing in 70 episodes. Whereas for me, yeah. what was this now? Episode 87. I've learned a lot in that time. 
um and i continue to learn and it's a it's a a case of always growing and learning and absorbing information from people in different places and and and, uh different different situations and and that's great i'm sorry for interrupting that's a great point and um that's why to go back to one of your earlier points um you know how much you script it uh can it can really be a hindrance um you know i know you're an actor as well i've been acting for years i've been in sales for years so i understand the importance of listening um even when it looks like i'm doing something else which sometimes i am i am still listening where i have a list of questions it's almost like you don't listen to the answer because you already know where you're going next. You know, like, hello, Christian, can you tell me how you got started in podcasting? Well, yeah, I was out on the cricket pitch one day and a UFO landed right in the middle and handed me a golden microphone and I said, this must be my sign. Well, that's very interesting, Christian. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's <laughs> a great way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. That's something I, I learned very early on. Um, like well, what I often tend to do as well is, yeah, pay pay full attention to the to what they're saying, uh, the guest is saying, and then get when it gets to a point where like it seems like it's beginning to wind down a little bit more. Like maybe it's towards the end of that particular point that the person's made, and there's no obvious direction that that's going in or, or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. that's when I tend to start, like start to stray away and start looking at my paper, but I'm still listening because every now and again, you get like, Oh, and this, and then they'll go off and you're like, okay, let's, let's listen. Let's see what happens. Let's, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a very important aspect to this. And, uh, I've seen that it's so frustrating. I, I always try to think like, okay, is there anything here that I conceivably missed that my audience would want to know? That my audience would be like screaming like in the headset like come on why didn't you ask that like what's wrong what? with you like who plays cricket anymore christian <laughs> i want to hear more about the ufos you know yeah absolutely yeah. and and i hear the same thing where it, it, it's and i get it and i don't begrudge anybody either having a fun having their fun making a living having a hobby all of that stuff but also yeah, as a listener to a podcast or, you know, something, it shouldn't be frustrating. Like, you shouldn't want to jump in to ask the question, the follow-up question, you know? I think it's the same as, like, when you watch people on a game show and they just, you know, they just have an idiotic response to something. And you're like, how do you not know that? I think it's the same, exact same feeling. This is a right. ah, frustration. Um, yes. Yeah, so when I did my research on you initially, I mean, this might have been, because I do my research like way ahead of time, so this might have changed. And I noticed that you mentioned that you've had a couple of episodes that have had a few thousand views. So obviously there's been change since I did my research on you. Um, But when I initially checked, you know, I was seeing very few views on your YouTube. Um, And that's the same for my channel. That's not me like dissing or anything. Um, But... The, the the reason that I asked this question, because it, it intrigued me, is being that you are a marketing professional, do you or have you at any time kind of spent 
a considerable amount of time on social media marketing, networking, advertising, any kind of like paid stuff or any kind of like stuff that you would normally use in the context of marketing for the podcast? Or is there maybe like another barrier that you're facing in terms of bringing in, in the views right now? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. And um, it's funny because when this started and I was brand new, uh, it, as you saw me earlier today, I had enough technical hurdles um, and I was doing five shows a week. Oh, wow. Uh, at, I mean, for months I was doing five shows shows a week and I'm the only one doing it. So I'm reaching out to people, doing the research, doing the show. Um, and so a lot of them came up so, you know, so quickly that any sort of legitimate marketing effort wasn't possible. Mm. Um, you know, I would kind of do the guerrilla marketing on my social media and leveraging the company I work for. Um, and I, I got to tell honestly, and this probably speaks to human nature more than anything else. The best response I got was when I was legit in the middle of the interview reaching out on my Facebook saying, Hey, I'm live right now with so-and-so. And, you know, and then it's kind of hard to put off. It's like, Oh, right now, not so all I have to do is press the, you know? Um, and yeah, the thing with the views and, and this is something that was, that's frustrating to me mm. because we stream live on the, our website as well as on Facebook and on YouTube, yeah, it's damn near impossible to get an accurate number of how many people are watching at any given time or have watched total. Um, you know, because I know how many people have watched, or yeah, have watched on Facebook, how many have on YouTube, and I'm sure I can dig down into the analytics to find out how many people have watched on the website. Um, but that's definitely, um, you know, and you can tell me if this is something that you've seen. Um, it, it's a hurdle because not many people are watching on YouTube. It's not convenient. It's probably the least convenient of the options. If someone can go right to our website and go to a web page mm. and there it is and there is the list or go to facebook and there it is or go to youtube find the channel if it's live that's easy but if not you got to find you know so there's a lot of hurdles there and i also understand who the heck's going to watch something on youtube that has you know, 209 views. Uh, I mean, I think, it, I think it depends, but yeah, no, that's a, that's I mean, a 208 point. people have obviously. So no, you're, you're right. You're right. This, it goes back to the perception thing I was speaking about earlier. You know, like mm -hmm. if I, if someone asked me how many subs I've got and I say, Oh, I've got 600 and they're like, Oh, okay. Then yeah, same thing. 
Um, but yeah, no. Right. And I've I've actually thought about Christian, and I'm sorry for interrupting again. I have ADD. I do it like I do it so much, and I know when I'm doing it that it's rude, and I'm not a rude person. Um, but I have thought about maybe not streaming to YouTube. Hmm. Um, because it's one of those things, you know, like in marketing where I will tell business owners, you know, they'll tell me, nope, I don't want to be online because all it's going to do is get, you know, get fake reviewers to talk trash about my business. And it's like, well, guess what? They can do that already. Um, so if you're not owning your message, it basically becomes a tool for someone to talk themselves out of it. Mm -hmm. rather than if you own the message, you can try to talk them into it. So I almost feel like with YouTube, the way it is, at least for where I am, it almost gives people more reason not to watch it than it does compel them to watch it. Do you, because, okay, when it comes to my podcast, um, I diversify, I, I do many different things. So I have, uh, just to quickly explain, so like I have um, a separate TikTok for my podcast that I recently set up and a separate clips channel. So the main version of the podcast in video form appears on the YouTube channel. Uh, that's where it generally gets the least views. Um, mm -hmm. And going back to your uh, convenience point, my podcast tends to perform best on the audio platforms. That's something I've noticed in general. So it's better on Spotify or Apple podcasts or whatever. Right. But the yeah, clips, that's something I don't do, but I well, you, should, you should. Yeah. Get, get yeah. that set up as soon as possible. Cause it's free. So why not? Um, but I know personally when I'm driving, I listen to podcasts right. all the time. Yeah. If it was a video podcast for some reason, I feel like I need to watch it, even though nothing's happening. No one needs to watch me and you. They're not going <laughs> to miss any nuance that yeah. they can pick up from listening. Yeah, you know what no, I mean? you're right. To be honest with you, the main reason that I do the video version is, well, A, it's because why not? Why not do a video version? Yeah, uh, you're a good looking yeah. guy, you know? Yeah, well, tell that to my single life of three years. <laughs> um but you know probably that accent the, dude the second thing is the um the fact that the clips work best you know like the most views i've ever received for the podcast have been in clip form some have had like tens of thousands of views so there's clearly more of a market there and also in general uh short content short form content is the most popular form of content right now um yeah yeah but like you said like I, for instance, I know there's people in my network, people that I'm friends with that will listen to my podcast, but in that kind of like on in the background kind of thing, um, sure. which is exactly what I do with podcasts. So I, I completely understand. But the clips is more what people engage with. And that draws people more into the uh, the podcast. But have you ever done mm -hmm. podcast clips? Is that something you've uh, tackled with or tried out? I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not familiar. You got to do it, man. Like it's it's. You as the name would imply, you take clips of your podcast. Yeah. Cut that, it up, you know, edit, edit. Yeah. And that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I really do need to. And I'll be honest as, as we've 
started to pick up traction. Okay. Um, I'm doing less, fewer and fewer shows. Um, All right. Yeah. Be, I mean, for a number of reasons. One, you know, I'm back to quote unquote working. Yeah. Um, and people, I mean, people aren't quite as accessible and available as they were when they couldn't leave the house. Right. Yeah. Cause they're doing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Not right. 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 Absolutely. Um, and I wanted to ask you a question that from earlier, you know, when you had said you'd reached out to people and working on scheduling, um, I obviously have done the same thing and I get to a point where I just want to ask people, look, if you're, just responding to be nice i appreciate it but don't like if you have no interest in doing this show that is totally fine i'm not gonna hate on you i'm not gonna talk crap about you i get it just let me know so i'm not reaching out to you every week or every two weeks have you ever found that or or is that just me in my insecure head saying uh -uh, uh-uh you know no, listen, you got a point. There's two people that I reached out to. Well, I've reached out to a lot of celebrities, uh, people I know, people I don't know. There's two major ones I've been trying to get for a while. One of them I've just given up on. Uh, I contacted this person many times and uh, their last message, they, they saw it and just, you know, didn't respond. So I'm kind of like, okay, no worries. Um, and the second one, I think they are genuine. Um, they're just really busy with everything that they're doing. Yeah. And uh, I have a feeling it will happen. It's just a case of when. Um, but the way I look at that, because I thought about this a lot, and I think that part of me feels like, oh, it's because, you know, you're a nobody. No one knows this show. Why do they care? Like, you know, it's going to do nothing for them. Part of me feels like that. But then part of me also feels like what we were discussing earlier. Like one day this podcast will be a success and people will be queuing up to come on there. So that's another factor to this. And thirdly, my focus at all times is to just continue the podcast, continue having guests on, continue having conversations. Cause you know what? Like it's all great. Uh, you know, having someone of significance on the podcast, you know, ideally, cause it, you know, it brings people on. Obviously every time I check a guest, I do look at their follower count. I, you know, I'm a numbers guy cause of marketing. So I do focus on those things, but to be honest with you, the more important aspect to all of this is, can I have a good conversation with you? Right. Are they a doorknob? Well, cause yeah, cause that just because they might be significant, that doesn't guarantee you're going to have a good show with them. And like, that's right. my goal above all else is, can I get a good show out of this person um, that I can give to my listeners? Can I continue to have guests? And luckily I found a lot of tools recently, um, certain platforms that g- like give you guests and, and uh, opportunities and stuff like that. And I've met some amazing people and mm-hmm. that, that kind of more is, is my focus really. You know, I feel like, the people of prominence, so to speak, uh, will come later. Um, but the podcast should always be about two things for me. And this is just my podcast. One, giving people a platform to discuss their projects and discuss what they want to talk about. And two, you know, being able to have fun, engaging, interesting discussions that people can listen to and enjoy 
whenever, wherever, and continually. You know, I want every show to be as good as the last one. Um, I want to put maximum effort into every single show. So that that's where my head is at. So I don't really take it too badly if they're not interested. I mean, yeah, sure, it's annoying. I mean, I'll be, the, I'll be honest, those people, both of them, I have kind of stopped messaging now. Um, yeah. But to be honest with you, I'm I'm kind of like too busy to to chase them because I'm busy. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna. That's, that's the thing. I was, I'm engaging. I'm engaging with people such as yourself that do give me a chance, and we have a good time. Right, you know? and and that's my biggest thing. Like I, I get what you're saying about hey, above all else, I want to make sure I can do X, Y, Z. I'm almost to the point now where. I don't want my time to be wasted and right. I don't want to waste anybody else's time. Mm-hmm. Like you said, I have plenty of other things that, because I can't say no to a project. Why? I'm not going to have quote unquote free time for probably five years. Like where I can just literally put my feet up and play a video game all day and say, I got nothing else to do. Why you can't know? you say no to projects? Um, I don't I don't know if it sounds fun or rewarding. Um and maybe it's because uh, you know, maybe it's narcissism or whatever, if I'm a people pleaser and I don't, you know, I, I just it kind of maybe to your point earlier, you never know where it will lead. Mm. So I don't want to close doors that I don't even see yet. Um, I'll give you an example. um, A former professor of mine, William Hayen, he's a very prolific poet. Um, I mean, dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of books of poetry published. Um, And I still keep in touch with him. And one uh, one time I'd stopped out to see him. He's 80 years old now, uh, but he's hell and he's an awesome guy. But we were talking one day and he has about 50 letters that Archibald McLeish had sent him in the mid 70s to early 80s. They had a literary friendship that was completely letters. They never picked up the phone and talked. So he had asked me one day, I said, hey, Jamie, would you be interested in maybe editing this book, turning it into a book and editing it? Yeah, of course I would. I didn't know what that meant, what that looked like. Um, I said, yes, and I'm figuring it out. I'm about halfway through that project now and it's something that i'm glad i said yes Mm -hmm. but like like i had said i i can't ever and i can this is a me thing but i can't fully enjoy free time because i know that there's something i could or should be doing I know the feeling, but I must say you do need to find time for yourself because I know I know exactly where you're coming from because I'm a workaholic. But the way I look at it is is like 
you need to, I, I, do you know, I said this to my flatmate because he's been working every day solidly for like two months, right? Trying to raise money for him and his family. And I get it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, listen, you need to take one day a week or one day every two weeks to rest. Otherwise your body will choose it for you. You'll just get sick and then you can't do any work. So it's, it's important to have that moment, I suppose, to disconnect. But I do understand because working is addictive. It's exciting working on projects. Like you say, you don't know where it's going to go, who you're going to meet, what's going to happen. I get that. I, I understand. Yeah, and, and it's weird because these, you know, these projects that I take on, you know, I, I, I don't have a glass chewing project coming up. You know, these are things that I like doing. Mm. Um, but and I, I've said this a million times that, once you start getting paid for something or it becomes an official responsibility, it's a great way to take the fun right out of it. You know, those people that say, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I, I believe that to a certain extent, Mm. but I can also see how when, when it's not, your hobby or your your leisure time activity you know when there is actually a deadline or a responsibility or pay you know or expectations mm. to me that's kind of where it jumps you know or, or crosses the line to where you may still enjoy doing it i'm having a great time talking to you right now i love researching you know, what was happening around those letters and the book that I'm doing and researching that. But it's different than putting my feet up and grabbing a book and just saying, I'm going to read until I don't feel like reading anymore. You know, I do get where you come from. But like, I think at the same time. OK, here's where I sit on that. Right. I think every job has certain things or every thing we do in life that we want to do that we can get paid for has aspects to it that aren't enjoyable like for instance okay right now I edit everything I do I spend more hours editing than I actually do creating content right it's the bane of my life yeah I don't have enough time to do it all unfortunately uh in, in terms of you know uh promoting on social media and all these different things so I do what I can with the time that I have and um straight away I know that like if I would get somewhere with this and I, I could pay people to, to alleviate me of these things, um, tasks, then I would enjoy it more. Like a, I'd be able to do more and B, um, I could, cause for me the, my favorite aspect of this is just actually doing this, doing the show, talking to people, doing the live streams, um, doing the actual content, but everything else, it takes so much of my time. Yeah, that it, it does become become a bit um, draining. So I, I I often have to take breaks, not necessarily a whole day, but like extensive hours where I'm just not doing that, uh, just yeah. so I don't get demotivated. So I do understand, and so that it looks good, or well, it's well, good. Well, it's a necessity. You have to you have yeah. to do it. But like I understand where you're coming from, um. But at the same time, I think it it depends on the amount of things involved with the thing that you love that you have to do that you don't want to do, if you know what I mean. Like, sure. if, if you're 
if we just look at the example of a podcast, let's say that's your living, you earn from podcasting, right? If you spend most of your time editing and promoting and stuff, I can see the monotonous of it and it can take the suck some of the fun out of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I mean, I've worked in some jobs I've hated over the years. I think the, the memory of that can really uh, <laughs> push you to, to not yeah. feel that way. Yeah, I, I and I, I can definitely see that, Christian. And maybe, um, you know, if I if all I had to do was show up 20 minutes before it started Mm. and do the on-air part and not book the guest and not remind them to be there and you know all of those things if i just showed up and had the conversation i would like to think that i wouldn't find anything to complain about i do I think it does exist. I mean, when I look at someone like Joe Rogan, that seems to be the setup. I, I'm pretty much 100% sure that he doesn't do any of the backgrounds. I reckon what, if I had to guess, I reckon he glances at the research that someone's done for him beforehand just to familiarize, okay, this is the latest projects with this person, blah, 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 right? But you just know that someone's involved with everything from booking the guest, doing the promotion, blah, blah, blah. Like he won't be doing any of that himself. Not because he can't be bothered or something. It's just he's busy, you know, doing things like networking, uh, obviously his MMA stuff, the podcast. better at that part of it. Yeah. And I think like he probably did all of that in the beginning. You know, it's, it's like me, the way, that's the way I see it. Like, okay, yeah, I have to do it all myself now, but one day I won't have to. And um, I can focus on just the stuff I love. And I think that is often the case with all of us. When, when we're chasing our passions, we have to do all the stuff we don't particularly enjoy that makes the dream possible, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, I do get where you're, where you're coming from. I think that, but a way to alleviate that potentially is to always kind of pursue new projects, like make sure that what you're doing doesn't become monotonous or something. Sure. Which is why, you know, and this is transitioning into the, into the acting side of the podcast now. Uh, that's why acting, I think, and actors never have an issue or get bored of their craft because every project is completely different. You're working with different people every time. Um, so do you know what I mean? And like, because one could argue like, oh, how, wouldn't you get bored of doing the same thing? You know, I get, but I guess you do it for the money. But since it's an art and there's a craft to it, I think, um, and it, yeah, bring the bad to podcasting, it, it relates in the same way. I think that that's one of my biggest draws is I never know what to expect from every single conversation. And that is yeah. kind of intriguing. I never know what's going to come up, where we're going to go with the conversation. Right. It's, it's, you know, it, it's the live without a net sort of thing. Yeah. You don't know what's going to happen. And that's why, you need to be present and in tune. And, you know, it's amazing to me how few people actually listen to understand rather than listening to respond. Yeah, well, that's just most people though, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And, And it seems like society values that more and more like like it doesn't seem to me that society values anything more than a glancing understanding of a lot of things 
Rav, and I just, I think the people that have really said, hey, this is my thing, and I am going to understand every single thing about it, even something that no one cares about, because I do. Mm. Um, but, you know, it seems like fewer and fewer people really care about, you know, getting that depth of knowledge or understanding. Yeah, I think the key the key aspect to this is like, if people want to succeed in life and do well, like everyone that you see that that has risen to the top, like famous actors, musicians, whatever, they spent time, as you say, learning, listening to you know their peers, people above them, people more successful than them, people more intelligent than them, and they kept learning and they never stopped doing that. Whereas I think people that aren't as successful in life, um they're the ones not listening because if they were listening they wouldn't kind of be stuck in that not not everyone but you know like when there's people that complain about their position but then they do nothing about it it's right. like well you 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 would be able to change it if you listen to the people giving you advice or and I, I think also it requires some um so some some self-realization or or self-actualization whether it's knowing what you don't know and and knowing that there i mean what i don't know would fill a library <laughs> and i know that and and you know what and i am not gonna sit here and have a discussion with you about the war of the roses because i i, I can't without potentially sounding like an idiot and oh, you that, know. That, that was the one question i wanted to ask you as well huh? yeah I, I think it was edward <laughs> that's all i know yeah um but but yeah and that's um and, and i i feel like you had mentioned it with podcasters earlier but i feel like i see that with actors okay um you know whether big time or small time actors mm -hmm. i i just will watch something and be like why did he do that? Like, what do you mean? Um, uh, a, a motion, um, a gesture, uh, line reading. Like, I, you know, I'll just be like, and I could be dead wrong here, but it seems like this line reading is the only one that makes sense. So why couldn't they figure that out? You know, why are they, you know, how did they even get on this thing? Because this is the only way to say that line that makes it make sense in relation to these other things. Now, I also know that in filming and acting, that might be the last take that they ever wanted to use, but it was the only one that didn't have a train going in the background or someone sniffling or you know any number of things could also be the director's vision you know what i mean sure like i've had that where a director has told me to do something a bit odd and i'm like wouldn't it be better like this way you know not not because i particularly care yeah you know, obviously i want it to be the best it can be that's that's my right. kind of fascination but when i think about the logics of like a character and how they would and wouldn't respond to a situation when they pose something like oh we want you to say it this way or we think the character should do this and it's like but that doesn't make sense i mean this is the story that we've told this is what we why would they do this and then they're just like oh let's just try it and you're like okay 
you're, you're the yeah. boss and then you do it and then it's crap and then everyone's like why did you do it that way and you're like oh, right and I, I will always ask i will always ask why yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. i i absolutely i think it's i think if anything it's an actor's uh, responsibility to do that i think they should always question the director it doesn't matter how successful the director is speak up you know don't be afraid um because look, every everyone is there to to make a great movie or TV show or whatever. Like yeah. that, the, the, everyone has the same goal. Uh, so long as you're not like, you know, just arguing for the sake of it, or it's like an ego thing. Like you know, again, it goes back to as long as you're not wasting people's time. You know, sitting around listening to you, yeah, be yeah. an a hole. Um, but and, and the other thing that I've found is, you know. I'll, if you're the director, I will do, obviously, whatever it is that you want. But if I feel really strongly about something, I will ask, can we do it once this yeah. way? Yes. You'll, you will either see it and or you will have it on tape and and it's there. And if you tell me, geez, Jamie, that, that was as stupid as I thought it was going to be. No problem. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, I've said this on the show before as well, that goes back to like the way that you voice things. Like a lot of people make the mistake of going, oh, your idea is crap. I think we should do it my way. Like, no, 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 never, never diss someone's idea. Just suggest an alternative. And as you say, in the context of acting, it's better to just be like, why don't we try it your way and my way and see which is better. And then, like, as you say, they've got an option. And to be fair, a good way of, uh, a good reason for doing it that way as well is it could become apparent later in like later edits or, or whatever that your way is actually the better way to do it. And now they've got two options. You know what I mean? They, and they're not forced to use their way that maybe didn't make sense because they've got those options because you gave them that option and you were respectful in doing so. You didn't kind of like... Yeah. make them angry about it you just and because that's what people forget i think in acting is you know it that's the director's vision or, or the writer's vision of that particular thing um but it's a creative project like all creative projects if you've got loads of people working on a project it's okay to suggest an idea but don't you know try to disparage other people's ideas like you know it's, right. it's a create an idea comes it's a personal thing it comes from that person so when you attack the idea you attack the person so it's, I think it's all in the right, especially something as creative a vision as, you know, the, the film medium or something. And I am actually um, I, I run into this pretty frequently because there is um, one company that I work with pretty frequently and that I'm currently working with right now. And they love horror films. OK. Um, and. I'll be honest, they don't do anything for me. I don't understand the draw. Um, I don't get what makes a good horror film. Um, you know, so a lot of times it is a leap of faith for me where I'll ask them, guys, how did that look? Dude, it was amazing. Really? Okay, good. Good. Um, and it reminds me of Leslie Nielsen, um, like the naked gone. Someone, someone had said to him, you are so funny. How do you keep a straight face when you say these hysterical lines? He's like, I don't think it's funny. He's like, maybe, <laughs> maybe I just don't understand the humor, Oh wow! but I don't 
think it's funny. You know, so not that's that kind I'm of Wesley perfect, Hill. actually. That's a perfect scenario. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it kind of crossed my mind the last time we filmed overnight in 20 degree Fahrenheit weather. You know, when when literally I'm just standing there freezing my ass off. That's what I feel like. Not shivering is as close to acting as I'm getting. And I'm asking them, guys, how's it look? They're like, brilliant. Great. And I'm just like, all right, perfect. Then, you know, maybe there is part of that where either I can't understand or they can't articulate Mm. what it is that they appreciate about the performance. But it doesn't matter. Ultimately, you know, they're happy. And I don't know why, but. That's good. Yeah, I think it's it's important people be critical though, and like be if don't not be afraid to speak up because, as yeah. you say, when everyone's just going yes, 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 it's great. Like I don't know, the cynic in me is always like, no, we can always improve this. There's always a better way yeah. to do this. Like surely there, there must be something. There like, is nothing worse than watching like a rough cut or whatever, and being like, dude, what did that's what you thought was great. Come on, you know, because, and that's the big thing. I think whether it's podcasting, acting, um, or, or any creative endeavor that has your name on it, that's, that's all you have is your name, you know? So why would you want less than your best work right, yeah. put out there? Yeah, no, I agree. I remember I learned this lesson very young. I remember when I was producing, um, oh, sorry, not producing, recording my my uh, first band's like EP. Uh, it was like the first proper professional music work I'd ever done. It was amazing. And um, we lucked out. We got an amazing producer. This guy was in former bands. He'd had a little bit of light success in the UK with his work. And he tra- he was transitioning into a production career, music production. And I noticed the pattern of like how all the rest of the band would leave the studio, but me and him would still be there till after hours, you know, working and stuff. And we would get chatting like naturally. Right. Sure. And because we had similar work ethics. And I remember we, he would always work with me past the hours that we'd paid for. And I remember saying to him one night, like, listen, I, I can't afford to pay you uh past the hours like can we continue it tomorrow and he just cut me off there and said listen i'm gonna keep working on this out of hours i always do and he said this isn't just a record for your band this is something that has my name attached to it that goes out you know under my label and it will not label but like under my name so it's important that it's very high quality and that i won't be satisfied with it, it basically I won't be satisfied until it's up to my standards and therefore I will work as long as I need to work on it, regardless of whether or not you've paid me for the time. And yeah, I remember, I, I don't know, that just really inspired me. I've always had that kind of attitude now since then, like to put in just maximum effort every single time, because yeah, if your name is attached to it, that's a reflection of you. And for many people watching, that's the, that might be the first time they've ever seen or heard anything from you. And if and it's, it might be the only time. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. If it's bad quality or your heart's not in it, they're going to tell, they'll be able to tell. 
Yeah, I get that. I I, um, I like sports, and that's, that's a thing in the NFL. You know, they say the eye in the sky doesn't lie because every practice is recorded. Every game is recorded. So, you know, let's say I, I play for the Dolphins, whatever. I play for a professional football team. My team sucks. We're going nowhere this year. We're getting blown out in this game. We're not going to win this game. But guess what? Some team is going to watch this tape. And if they see me taking this playoff because I don't want to get hurt, because we're going nowhere this season and we've already lost this game, well, that team is going to see the tape and say, well, this dude takes plays off. Why would I pay someone millions of dollars, you know, to work when they feel like it's important? Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't actually know that they do that in the NFL recording. Oh, yeah. Wow. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and like I said, in the games, and that's why, you know, when you're talking about these freak athletes who are, you know, the top 1% of athletes in the world, the difference between, you know, the worst player in the NFL and the best player not in the NFL is minuscule. And maybe it is a tenth of a second that you didn't hold that block in the fourth quarter of a game that was already over. Wow. Um, Yeah, since we were talking about acting before, let's talk a little bit about that. So how long have you been an actor? How did you get into that? And uh, what are some of your best and worst moments from acting? Um, I got into it in high school. with musicals and things like that. And uh, then through college, um, I did, you know, stage acting. And then after college, I did a lot of community theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was where we had a pretty, um, a pretty consistent cast for three years. We did three shows in a row with the same producer. Um, and the same core cast. Um, and I would hear a lot of them talking about film work. And I'm like, guys, how do you get into film? You know? And uh, they told me, well, RIT, Rochester Institute of Technology, is a very uh, prestigious film school that's four miles away. Um, so I started auditioning. Um, first audition I went to, I was hammered never done a film audition or a film before. And I got the role. Wow. Um, and again, I, I didn't know what to do. Um, I'm on the set, you know, and there was one lady, you know, I'm working with professional actors like that are up from New York city for the weekend to film this. Um, and everybody was super friendly and helpful and, you know, but I had asked one of the ladies, I said, hey, I've done theater before. I've never done a film. Any advice that's going to take less than five seconds? 
she's like, yeah, if in doubt, stand still, Hmm. which was perfect for me because you can't tell, but I'm six foot four, 220 pounds. And it's the opposite in theater. Because if you see me on stage and I'm standing still, you're like, what was wrong with that dude? Right. Because he's huge and he's just standing there. Um, where similarly in film, if I'm fidgeting and, you know, keeping something in my hand, it takes the focus away from where it should be. Um, so since then, I have done a number of films. Uh, you know, anything from student short films to thesis films to um, independent films. And I'm working right now on an independent feature film. Okay, excellent. Um, in, in terms of best or worst, um, I don't, I don't know that I could even identify one. Um, you know, it's it's such an active craft, and and I'm sure you know this that. Um, you know, I'm constantly trying to be better. Right. Um, you know, where it's almost, you know, you miss the forest for the trees. Um, that, you know, I, I, I'm trying to be in the moment and, you know, to, to where when I can sit down and watch the finished product, that's maybe the reward that I get um if it's good or if i'm good Um, excellent um moving it forward so you mentioned earlier that you you suffer from add um Mm -hmm. i just wanted to ask you because i think it's beneficial you know i like to um discuss things like this learn more about it um talk to us a little bit more about sort of your experience of and how you handle add and how you manage it, like how it's affected your life over the years. Uh, Talk us a little bit about that. Well, I wasn't officially diagnosed until my 20s. Okay. So after college and things, I can tell you that nobody who knows me was surprised with the diagnosis. (laughs) But for whatever reason, I just... You know, and, and I'm a little older. I mean, it just wasn't a thing back then. You oh, okay. know, it was, it was well, Jamie's a smart ass. And, you know, if Jamie wasn't trying to make everyone laugh, maybe he'd be able to pay attention better um, and things like that. But really, it, it, the medication um, really, really helps. Um, my doctor, awesome guy. Um, you know, he sent me to a psychologist to get tested. You know, he's like, look, the the prescription for this is street level amphetamines. I'm not just going to give you drugs because you have a hard time remembering laundry soap at the grocery store. Um, and that testing was so humbling because you know, I'm, I'm a pretty bright person, so I could always think my way through tests or figure them out. Well, not this test. Um, I mean, I'll just give you a couple examples of things. So 
the first test I had to take was without my medication. So to get a baseline of kind of where we are. Mm -hmm. So there's this flipboard, you know, so the doctor says, all right, there's like three like symbols. He says the square means horse in this, you know, half triangle thing means man and the circle means ride. Got it? Yeah, I'm not an idiot. And then he flips the page and there's only symbols. He says, read me that sentence. What's the circle one again? You know, it's just like, and it's not because I'm ignoring him. Mm. It's just that, and again, I've studied the, the physiological thing. Basically, my mind or, or basic anyone with ADD, your mind can't prioritize what is the most important thing right now. So it's not that I'm not paying attention to you. I am, but I'm also listening to the birds outside, wondering what time it is, wondering if that thing was at two or three. Oh, and wow. I'm also working on a Rubik's cube under the desk. Um, you know, like all of those things. So, so what it happened was there was no quality of understanding happening. Um, another part of the test, and, and it's funny because now that I know these things, I see them and they drive me nuts. But there, I'll just tell you two more. I won't keep you here all day. So one of them was a series of numbers. So the guy would say, I'm going to say a series of numbers and you're going to say them back to me backwards. Okay. Four, 12, nine, nine, 12, four. You know, but then it's five numbers in a row. And then it's six numbers in a row. And my brain doesn't work like that. Mm. Um, the other one was he played a recording. And it's someone talking. And again, you have to like say the numbers back or whatever the prompt is. But there's background noise on the recording. And the background noise keeps getting louder. Oh, wow. And at some point, I can't. I can't tune out the background noise just to listen to what I'm supposed to listen to. Um, so I did awful on that test, which I was supposed to. Um, and the next time I went back and did the test again, medicated. And I scored 80% higher on the medication. Uh, and... The other thing with the medication, if you see someone who's who doesn't have ADD that takes the amount of medication that I do, you'd think they were on cocaine because they're fidgety, they're sweating, they're hyper. I'm like that unmedicated. Have you ever seen someone, their leg like goes nonstop? Yep. That's how I am. Like if I'm watching a movie, like my legs go and I'm fidgeting. So the medication actually calms me down because it allows my brain to process and order things. Excellent. Okay. Uh, what, what kind of tips could you give to, to people that might be struggling with ADD right now, like based on, on your life and what you've learned? 
I mean, first off, I, I would say see a doctor if that's available to you. And if that's something that's possible, you know, don't let the stigma of ADD or anything else get to you. Um, you know, and the other thing, I, I don't know, it, it's almost like a catch-22 here where by being able to label something selfishly for me, it's great, but how many great works of art or how, how much different would our world be today if everybody who had ADD or something else wrong with them was medicated for it to, you know, really change their behavior. Um, you know, so, and obviously that's not advice. That's more, you know, a, a rhetorical because I guarantee you that, you know, a lot of these quote unquote geniuses would not have been able to do what they did unless they were suffering. And suffering is not even the right word, but, you know, unless they were dealing with ADD, unless their brain were wired differently like mine is. You mentioned... Uh... So I don't know if that no, I get that. I get that. You, you mentioned about there being a stigma, which I understand that there would have been many, many years ago. But given how we've sort of progressed a lot of society and uh, you know mental health conditions are now taken more seriously, and 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 I know this doesn't fall under mental health, by the way. Um, I know it's more it's more behavioral, behavioral condition. I guess would be a better way to put it. Well, I'll tell you, Christian. I used to have really, really bad anxiety. Okay, and and. I don't know if ADD was 100% responsible for it, but I can tell you that since I've been medicated for ADD, mm. my anxiety is next to nothing. Yeah, it makes and the sense. Psychologist, yeah. The psychologist told me that is very, very common because again, your brain can't prioritize, you know, regular things and it hears or feels your heart skip a beat and says, Oh shit, this is the big one. This what's going on. What do you, you know, and it's no, it's, you know, so there, there is a, a mental health aspect to it. I, I would say. But do you still think there is a stigma? You mentioned there's a stigma. Is that something you, are you referring to like when you were growing up or do you mean there is still well, today? Uh, I think that, any time you are reaching out to a professional or coming out, you know, to find out there's going to be a stigma because maybe you're just stupid, you know, maybe it, it I don't mean that to be a, a jerk, but maybe you say, you know what, I must have ADD because I'm getting off grades or maybe it's a parent that says that you know my little johnny is the smartest guy in the history of the world but he's getting such bad grades he must have add mm. um 
you know, so I, I do think that there's a potential for stigma because anytime you go into a head doctor or something, you're almost at their mercy, uh, you know, with their diagnosis. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't, you know, it, it's certainly not as stigmatized as some other mental health um, issues and afflictions, but I do think the potential is there. Tell us the best and worst things about Rochester, New York. Hmm. Well, um, I don't want this to be a cop-out, but I would say that it's my same answer about everywhere that I have lived. Um, you'll, you'll find what you look for. Um, you know, if, if you go online and say top 10 things to do in Rochester and you go do those 10 things that everybody does, you may say this. Yeah, I don't get, this is the same as here, but worse, or it's the same as there, but, but the stairs are nicer. Um, you know, forge your own trail. Um, there are, I mean, there are beautiful parts, I feel like, of any and every city. Um, and, and sometimes you got to bring your own beauty. You know, maybe, maybe you just need to, on a lunch break, go sit under a bridge and listen to the water. Um, you know, or go walk in the woods by yourself with and I'm going to sound like a hypocrite because I take pictures of everything, especially cool things, mm. but maybe leave your phone in the car right. and, and just, you know, and, and just enjoy, um, your surroundings. So I, I'm sorry if that's a cop out. Um, but I, I do, I feel like I, I don't know what it's like across the pond, but I truly feel like in America, everybody will tell you the crappiest part about their hometown or the city they live in, you know, and, and it's all the same thing. Oh, the parking sucks, or there's no this, there's no that. It's so expensive. The food's this, the food's that. And, you know, and, the, and they'll say, but, you know, where you live, oh, that such and such is to die for. And it's, yeah. I, I just, you know, it's finding something that you like and focusing on it or finding something that you hate and focusing on it. Because both will always be there. Fair enough. Uh, tell us about your marketing career. What have you learned over the years through your your uh, your work in marketing um it's i mean it changes almost daily mm. um but uh so i have enjoyed that learning aspect of it and it really is fascinating to me because even five years ago you know, if you would have said to me, you know, Jamie, how do you feel about the internet and search engines tracking you? I'd be like, nope, duck, duck, go. Uh, all my privacy, no, 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 they're not going to know a thing about me. Yeah. Um, 
And now I, I still try to be cautious, um, but I, I try to be more cautious about other people's stuff. You know mm. what I mean? I'm not, if you and I are having lunch, I'm going to be a lot more hesitant to say, hey, me and Christian are going to lunch today at two and we're going to eat at such and such mm. because that's your business. Now, after the fact, I might say, hey, had a great lunch today with Christian. Try the uh, fish and chips, whatever. Um, but I, I can also see how the advertising experience and really the whole online experience is sculpted towards me as a person because my phone knows me better than just about anybody in this world. So, you know, the, uh, the bad example that I use all the time is I, I don't get douche commercials in uh, my pre-roll on YouTube mm. because YouTube knows exactly who I am and they know exactly what ads to show me to get me to buy something, which is the ultimate goal. So it's like the, the BS you know, adverts aren't going to work on this guy. Don't, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, seeing how it can be useful, um, you know, seeing how the information that's collected can be more than a nuisance it can be more than a privacy concern um you know if you feel that consumerism is a worthy endeavor and i'm i'm on the fence with it so um but you know it, it's not big government or big brother that's you know collecting your info for nefarious purposes no it's uh you know the uh, the the local the local music store who wants you to know about record shop day that's coming up because they know that you play the guitar. Um, what kind of tips could you give to people who want to get into sales and marketing? Um, be able, and I would almost say the two are different. Um, because I mean, sales, yes, but selling marketing, like I used to work for AT&T and I was, um, I was the sales manager of the business to business team. So my team was selling cell phones to businesses. Mm. I mean, hundreds of lines, um, and when I was hiring for that position is someone who can have a conversation. Um, you know, I don't care that, you know, the specs of every phone or that you understand how cell phone handoffs work because the person you're talking to doesn't. Um, so <clears throat> my thought was if you can have a good conversation, someone's calling in, they're probably going to buy something if you just don't screw it up. So if you can have a conversation and put someone at ease 
and they don't feel that their time is being wasted because you don't know what the hell you're doing, you know, you're more likely not to screw it up. Now in selling marketing, I feel like you do have to have a good understanding. And maybe this goes back to what we were talking about before, because I would say that nine, 99 out of 100 consumers will tell you that they don't understand cell phone technology, mm. while probably 80 out of 100 will tell you they understand how Google works and they understand how online advertising works. I, I'll give you one example. Everybody tells me when, when I'm explaining uh, the search engine results pages, I say, these are the paid ads. It says ad. Oh yeah, I never click on those. Oh yeah, that's funny because you and nobody else ever clicks on those ads that generate billions of dollars every year. Yeah. Um, you know, so people and, you know, people will say, well, I never click on those ads. So I'm sure nobody else does. It's not true. But I do think you and that's a fine line. Trying to explain something to someone and you had said this kind of before talking about filming or acting like trying to explain something to someone who thinks they already understand it without telling them, no, you're wrong, yeah, <laughs> is a difficult thing. Depends on their stubbornness, really, isn't it? I mean, it's like you said before, yeah, if they, if they just can't listen, I mean, I mean, the often, often the way I do it is like, I'll try and speak to them a little bit. If, if they're not receipt like receptive or they're just not listening, I just don't bother. I'm like, do you know what? They're just going to have to learn the hard way then. That's yeah. Otherwise yeah, you're just wasting your breath, you know. <laughs> I have I have done that um, you know, where I'm writing off-site content for someone. And they're like, no, it needs to have my name in it, it needs to have this, it needs to have that. And I will just tell them, look, dude, this is going on someone else's website. Mm. Someone is already paying to advertise on that website. How are they gonna feel about this piece of content? that is blatant advertising, but you're not paying for it. How's that gonna work? It's not, not for long at least. So, so yeah, it's, yeah, cause you don't wanna tell someone, you know, look dude, you're wrong. There's a reason you called me. And I will try to tie it back to their industry, mm -hmm. you know? Hey bro, if, uh, if a shingle falls off my roof, I might take a shot at fixing it, okay? If 40 shingles fall off, I might reach out to my dad, who I know is handy, and he can probably help me. If my whole goddamn roof blows off, I'm calling a roofer. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, moving it forward, what do you think are some of your best and worst experiences working in sales and marketing over the years? Um, some of my best experiences are, you know, when I have built a relationship from scratch and, and I know 
that the reason that the client has signed on or gone forward is because of that, because of me. And whether they've said it or not, you know that they're like, you know, look, Jamie, I'm going to do this for you. And I'm doing three months. And after three months, when I don't see anything, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not wasting that money. Mm -hmm. And instead, surprise, surprise, what we see is after three months, we do see traction. Um, and then they do stick with you. And, you know, you do get to you do get to show them results um, because ultimately what we're talking about is we're talking about changing someone's life. You know, if, if Johnny the roofer is one bad summer away from going out of business and going back to work in the factory and he says, Hey, you know what? This is my last summer. I'm, I'm putting it all out there. I need to advertise and I need to see if this is really going to work for me or if I need to go back to doing what I was doing. Well, by increasing the business, you know, it's, it's changing his life. It's changing his family's life. If he has to hire three more people, now you're changing those three people's lives and their family's lives. Um, and you know, it, it comes from advertising and, and getting people, um, it, it, it's just a lot of people want to look at everything and, and find the, the, the bad part of it. Well, advertising is really just taking advantage of people that, you know, are looking for something at a certain time. And I say, yeah, you can look at it that way. Or you can look at it as I'm identifying someone who is going to buy this product from someone. And instead, I'm trying to persuade them to buy that product from this person whom I fully believe in because I have to sleep at night as well. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to push a, a crappy product or, you know, I think the biggest thing in any sales is being able to walk away from, well, being able to identify and walk away from a bad deal. And uh, to answer the second half of your question, my worst experiences in sales or marketing are, and I won't mention any names, but um, I, I had one client where I was relatively new in the job. And as I'm having the conversation, you know, all you can see are the dollar signs. You're like, oh man, if I land this deal, it's going to be X amount up front plus that residual every month. This is going to be awesome. And all the warning signs are there right now. This guy's going to be a nightmare to work with. He's not going to let us do our job. He's going to question every single thing that we do. Mm. And he's actually going to hinder our ability to do what he's paying us to do. And inevitably it happened. Like literally this dude would call me 
and I'd have to tell them, sit down, take a deep breath. Okay. Um, you know, it's a good thing we're not cardiologists. We're in digital marketing. Chill out. You know, he's like, but if my client finds out about this, how the hell would he? He's running a business and yeah. you're running a business. You, to a certain extent, to a certain extent, you can tell your client what to think if you know more about the industry than they do. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. I, do, I just, oh, I'll add to that as well. I don't think it really, because from what you laid out there, I presume it's the sort of situation where they were hiring you. So it's B2B, so they were hiring you in order to do, yeah, do work with their, their client. Uh, like sort of sales or marketing services. So it's like third party. I worked for a white label SEO reseller. That Mm. is how I got into the marketing business. And I learned so much and it was a great company. And Yeah. And it's like, you you don't have to declare that at all. Like if I was a a content producer or let's say I'm a marketing agency, right? And I'm working with a client and they're like hey we want you to get x and x done i'm not going to tell them that i employ like freelance writers or what i'm not going to tell them where the content comes from like it, that's neither here nor there it's about getting the product out to them and if there is any discrepancies then we take the responsibility but then we take that back to the the freelance writer and we'll say hey we're gonna fire you or hey you need to change this or or whatever, you know, but yeah, it's just, it's just interesting mm-hmm. that the, the client reacted that way. That's a bit bizarre. I guess well, and that's the thing. experience. I, well, I don't know how the client reacted because the reseller was so scared witless about this. And I'm going to pretend his name was Bill. It wasn't Bill. But I've had the conversation, would have the conversation like, Bill, this is how you are on the phone with me. Yeah. Do you really think your client thinks that you're writing six blog posts a month and a press release and doing all these on-site changes yourself? I don't think so. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Just relax. (laughs) Oh, anyway, um, moving it forward, right, especially when something's working, right? Is there any? Well, let me let me phrase this better. What's the biggest life lesson that you've learned so far? Um, it's probably. Um, a line from uh, Infinite Jest. It's a David Foster Wallace novel. This is brilliant. But it says, you'll care a lot less about what people think about you when you realize how seldom they do so. Um, You know, and, and I don't know if, and obviously that can be said any number of ways you know, that, um, you know, you're your own worst critic, um, do your thing. Um, you know, maybe along those same lines, Doug Stanhope, who's a 
brilliant comedian. Uh, he he was in the middle of a riff about something, and then he's like, "Hold on, you, you do realize at the end of this, we all die, right?" Yeah. Okay. Okay. And this is still what we want to do with our time. Yeah. Feel free. I just wanted to make sure that we had the same level of understanding. Um, you know, so it, it's, you know, live in, I live in my own head, in my own thoughts way, way, way too much, but I've tried to make a conscious decision to, you know, to be in the here and now more and appreciate the beauty of things. Um, tell me what you think about this. I truly feel like when I look at the sky these days, it looks different than it did 20 years ago. Um, the colors, the shapes, and... I could be way off here, but the only reason that I can think of is that cameras have gotten so much better that when I take a picture of the sky and I see all these brilliant colors, that the next time I look at the sky, I see those colors. Or is that just drugs? What do you think? Um... Yeah, for me, it's different. I I kind of feel like, and maybe it's because I just pay more attention now um, to what's around me. And I agree with your point about living in the moment, by the way. Um, but yeah, when I look at things these days, like I went to my local, there's like a lo local nature reserve place that I went to today that I go to often. And I'll just sit there, watch the wildlife, you know, just just relax and you know i never used to do that when i was a teenager really i never used to pay much attention yeah. now i pay attention all the time like it's very peaceful it's it's really good um but when i look at things nature places i used to go memories it doesn't look much different sometimes i feel like you know i'm in a movie or something it feels kind of like that but it's not so much that things look different. It's, th it's that things feel different. The way I feel about things, the way I interpret life, okay, yeah. perspective, everything has changed. Like I feel like now I'm a very sentimental person. I make every moment count. I like now I try to take advantage of every opportunity. Like if someone says, Hey, do you want to go out for drinks? I go out for drinks. Even if I don't really particularly want to, I just go out anyway because it's an opportunity. It's a chance for memories. It's, it's, you know, all of these things, but I never used to think that way many years ago. Interaction. Yeah. But it's not even just that. It's, it's like, yeah. I don't know, making the most of, of every day, you know, because you can, you don't know like how long you're going to be on this planet, how long we're going to be alive. And yeah, I've seen that with my own eyes. You know, I've seen friends pass away, and it just happens and you don't really like it, it just kind of makes you think a lot about your own life and wasting time. Do you know what I mean? Like time just goes so quickly now, especially when you yeah. get older. And 
I always just try to focus on making the most of every moment and, and really being in that moment and really kind of appreciating every part of it, even if it is just standing and looking at the sky. I think that can be as impactful as a great relationship or a, a particularly exciting moment in your life. I think it's all kind of the same, but it's all dependent on your perception and reaction to it. This is what I think. Have you ever heard this is water? No. Uh, um, it is a commencement speech again by uh, David Foster Wallace. And I would tell you, go on YouTube and watch. It's 20 minutes and it is unbelievable. But basically he... Um, one of the parts is he talks about like a crowded grocery store and he says, you'll be able, if you're aware, you'll be able to view this crowded grocery store and see that it's alive with the same magic that lit the stars. Um, and I may not have had that quote direct, but, but it's brilliant. And it's a great 25 minute timeout that uh, gets you thinking and how it starts is there's uh, there's an old fish swimming by two younger fish one morning and he says, Hey boys, how's the water? And the young fish swim by and look at each other and they say, what the hell's water? And you know, he basically says, this is water. That trip to the grocery store after work, when it's the last thing you want to do in your life, but you have to, that's water. You know, being able to find something in that, you know, otherwise awful setting, being able to find something redeeming mm. rather than just, you know, turning your brain on autopilot and messing around on your phone. Um, so I'd highly recommend that for you and, and any other listeners. It's just, it's brilliant. I, I think it's 25 minutes um, and it's incredible. Thank you. I'll definitely check it out. And I implore my listeners to do so too. Um, as we draw things to a close for today, is there any final thoughts or upcoming projects that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, one more witticism I just thought of, like the sky. Um, it used to be that we would see a picture of something and want to go see it in real life. Mm. And now we see it and we want to go take a picture of it. Right. Um, which I don't... I, I don't know if that's the human desire to capture and, you know, own things to show their friends, to prove they did it. I don't know. Um, but what am I currently working on? I'm, I'm editing that book of letters. It's going to be called Letters from Archie. And it is letters from Archibald McLeish, who was a contemporary of Hemingway and Fitzgerald and was in Paris with all of them. Uh, Hemingway was his fishing buddy. Um, letters that he wrote to a former professor of mine and brought relationships. So uh, that's letters for Archie, letters from Archie to Bill Hayen. 
Um, and the film that I'm currently working on is called kind of a call type thing. Um, I did send you uh, a clip, Christian. It's just a, a short little fight scene thing. Um, and then I do have my, uh, my shows that I do. Um, you can find me at Remotely Entertaining on Facebook and YouTube. Excellent. Yeah, well, I implore my uh, listeners to go go check that out, Remotely Entertainment. And I uh, just want to say a massive thank you for agreeing to be on the show. Thanks for sharing your story and uh, just being a great guest all around. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you very much for the invite. Um, please keep in touch and um, best of luck to you in the future. Thank you, sir. And to everyone listening or watching the Christian Reed podcast, make sure you like, share and subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify, Apple podcast, anywhere like that, drop us a follow, leave us a rating. Let me know your thoughts, your feelings. Let me know who you want to see on the show next, what you'd like to hear on the show next. And as always, be safe, be well, and I'll see you in the next one.